Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. We are Take the Black, and this is the off-season Take the Black. I'm your host, Razor, and I'm here with the usual suspects. Annie, Corey Thone, first of his name, Corey Smith, second of his name, and Isis. And we're here to talk about all things Season 6. That's right. We're going to talk about the lowlights or the highlights. We're going to praise and we're going to bitch about everything we liked or loved or hated in Season 6. We're going to start with Episode 601, The Red Woman, and we're going to go all the way to 610, not 6010, 610, The Winds of Winter. But first, we've got a little bit of news. If you've been reading WinterIsComing.net, you know that Season 7 is being pushed back. Annie Bundle, lay the 411 on us. Well, here's the thing, right? They basically set themselves up for this by pushing back this season. You know, this up until now, they'd always started at, like, the end of March or the beginning of April. This season didn't actually start until the end of April, so it didn't end until the end of June. Usually by now, you know, WIC is kind of scrambling for content. We're kind of, like, treading water and doing, like, our write-ups of our best costumes and all the deaths. And John John Snow homage videos. Yeah, like, yeah. but the fact is, we're not doing that right now because we're still reeling from the finale, which was only two weeks ago, and that means that our de- that means that the 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 actual dead season's been pushed back, which means that the filming season's been pushed back, and that's actually deliberate on the part of Benioff and Weiss, the showrunners. They did that because they want in you know they film in Spain and they film in hot climates, but it's winter now. And so they want to actually wait until it's like, instead of filming like September and the beginning of October, they want to start filming like later October and November and December when it's actually cold and snowy. Because they want, you know, their outdoor locations to feel real. So so what you're saying is much like Tommen on his wedding night, winter has come. Yes, winter has in fact come. And winter will, <laughs> uh, and you know, rather than pay to take a field in the middle of August like they did this year for Battle of the Bastards and cover it with fake snow for months on end, it makes much more sense to wait for November, December when there's actual snow on the ground. You know, and that means that filming will end a little later. Usually filming ends before Christmas with them pushing it back. Even though there are less episodes, filming will probably still end more like in January, which means which means that the the, the post process, which is usually January and February, will end up being February, March. So that just the whole cycle has just been pushed down the line. I didn't mean to drop a Stannis on you. It's okay. I forgive you. Um, So that's. We've got that to either look forward to or not look forward to. Our favorite show in the entire world is going to be starting late, probably, what, mid-May, end of May, you think? What do you think? I would say probably the beginning of May, especially if they're only going seven episodes. It could be mid-May. Right now they're talking about 13 to 15 episodes over the next two seasons. If it's 15, that means there'll probably be eight this coming year and and, and seven the year after. If it's 13, it'll be seven and six. Um, so, you know, it kind of depends. If they have eight episodes to give us next year, it'll probably be a little closer to the beginning of May. Because they want to end around the same place next year, especially because ending right there means that they end right before the Emmy voting period closes, which means that their finale will be fresh in the mind of voters, and that gives them a better chance of getting nominations. I'm hearing 13 episodes are left in the, se- in the series. So, um, yeah, they, yeah. They've said, they've said, they, they never actually say. 
they what they do is they, they they kind of fudge 13 has kind of been the number that they keep sort of defaulting to but in a couple of interviews they've said eh, it could be as high as 15 so They're quite ambiguous about they, it. they refuse to say how many will be next year they have not actually like they have not nailed it down all we know is that there were four directors well okay Let's get off this uh, sad news and let's get into season six. And let's start with 601 and a little bit of even sadder news. We started the season with where season five left off. We panned down into Castle Black and we heard the howling of ghosts, which, uh, as book readers know, is kind of weird because ghost isn't supposed to howl. He's supposed to be a silent wolf, if I'm if I'm if I'm. If I'm wrong, correct me, but I think he's not supposed to howl. But whatever, who cares? It's sad. He's howling. And we pan all the way down to Jon Snow's face. He's bled out on the snow. And Davos comes running down to check on his body. All his friends come out, and you hear, it's the Lord Commander. He's dead. Isis, uh, we've talked about this at length. Uh, we talked about it in our first episode of the season. What were your feelings at that moment, seeing your 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 dear little cinnamon bun Lying dead in the snow. You know, I was really hoping that at the like he was just gonna like breathe at that moment. You know, like they're gonna find him, and then Davos was gonna get there, and like he would just like, you know, inhale or something like that. And then mm-hmm. when I was like, oh shit, he's really dead. Oh gosh, this is this is really horrible. Uh, you know, especially since you saw that at the end of the season before that. And I, I had been arguing with people saying, John is not dead. John, there's no way he is dead, but he was actually dead. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was, I was definitely uh, upset uh, at the fact that he did not instantly, you know, wake up as soon as uh, that episode happened that he didn't like inhale, you know, those TV shows that they do to try to fake people out. The, the cliffhangers yeah. where they leave you, they leave you hanging yeah. for a while, but as soon as they come back on, the hero always wakes up, right? And that's what you were expecting. I, that's what I was expecting for, and it, and it didn't happen. And it was, and it's probably that it was better that it didn't happen uh, that way, um, and it, because it made it so much more interesting. The story of him basically being resurrected, you know, as the Lord and Commander. You know, well, now he's not the Lord and Commander, but, you know. Oh, yeah, he's, his watch is in yeah. uh Corey, first of your name, Corey Thone. Uh, let me ask you this. You, you're not a, you're not a, you haven't read the books, but you're a, you, you like to get on Reddit, and you, you've read some of the wiki pages out there. Were you, what, what were your thoughts? You kind of, you kind of know a little bit about what's going on, right? I mean, a little. A little, so you kind of you kind of had a good feeling what was going to happen, right? Um, I I think I made the joke last season on the podcast that uh, we should all because season five was just a big shit in our mouths, everything they could do, <laughs> and um, I just made the joke that they're actually season six will start with like I don't know Sir Alistair teabagging Jon Snow right before they burn him to death and. <laughs> <laughs> or burn his body, and then they throw the ashes into you know the rivers. I don't know, but I was like, there. I mean, but at the same time, I think we all knew SNL's sketch about how long they were taking to bring him back was very on the money because <laughs> spot on. Yeah, because I mean, anyone who understands like the concept of foreshadowing and storytelling knew that John, you know, was going to be brought back, or why why bother having the red woman come back to Castle Black in the the last episode and uh, season what didn't you see her in season five 
get back to the Castle Black. She came back in the season uh, five finale. finale. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Five minutes so we, before so, John got stabbed. Exactly. So, I mean, it was like, <laughs> hey, you know, it, it was it's pretty obvious. They drug it out literally as long as they possibly could. Uh, and they didn't even bring it back in this episode either, right? So, yeah, it was, I mean, it's all kind of a blur right now. I'm not great at remembering what episode things happened in. But I do remember them spending the whole first episode, like, because the previews for the season, you saw them, like, getting the ones in the room, getting ready to fight the other crows and everything. And they never did that in episode one. It was just, like, a whole bunch of standing looking at John's body being like, well, shit, and not knowing what to do. So, yeah. You you know what really got me, though? That by, like, that by the end of the season, I'd forgotten all that. Like you I actually, really had, yeah. I really had like you know the first two the first two episodes were all about is John coming back is John wh- when are we going to get to the resurrection of John Snow check your watch every five minutes you know and in by by episode nine it was like a thing that almost never happened they'd not mentioned they mentioned it exactly once and that was when he told Mel not to do it again and that was it. Like they, we went the whole we went ten months talking about is John coming back and then oh yeah he's back okay we're done now. Yeah, yeah, like we as 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 writers for Winter is Coming, like we did all this digging on on you know, like every time Benioff and Weiss, the showrunners, opened their mouths, we were there to write everything down they said. We recorded everything any actor on the show said. We tried to translate anything anybody said for double entendres for anything that was said about the show from any insider on news about Kid Harrington, and he even came out and said on several talk shows, I'm sorry, but my character's dead. I'm not coming back. He he just came out and lied about it because he was forced to. And so, but we all knew, I'm sorry, you're full of shit. We know you're coming back to life. And all that stuff, he came back in episode two. And I think, I I, I just want to say that Right now, all of us here are assuming that everybody was on the same page, that like, yeah, he's coming back. But as we saw with the R plus L, as a show watcher only, having the, I knew exactly what R plus L equals J meant because I looked it up, right? Like I wanted to know what that meant. Right. Okay, as we discussed on that podcast after that episode, there were a lot of people that had no clue what the hell just happened. And I discussed a lot on of Twitter people did with, not know who Rhaegar was. with several friends on Twitter and Facebook trying to explain, no, 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 remember when the other red dude brought back Patch guy after the hound killed him? <laughs> and they were like, well, if I'd have said their names, which I barely know anyway, if I'd have said their names, I'd have been like, who's is that the guy that was, was in the Kingsguard? Like, they don't know. Everybody's names has an Aryan or something at the end of them. It's all – so, I mean – that there are a lot of people. Apparently, President Obama doesn't know their names either. He, he, I really, that was hilarious. I really don't oh, know their God. names either, except for like the core group. Well, like it's, I just think the people we underestimated how big of a shock that was for some people. I think. I, I mean, kind of circling back to what you said, Annie. I mean, it, it really was kind of a, you know, it got resurrected in, in the second episode, and then we really kind of just moved past it really quickly, which was kind of surprising for me because. You know, you had Melisandre questioning in, in that next episode where he was brought back, and you had a little bit of it when, you know, he's talking to uh, Dolores Ed about going south. But really, he kind of just seemed to, all right, I'm back alive, you know, cool, yeah. we got stuff he, to do. 
And yeah, so I mean, like, you would think that they would say to like, okay, especially when they're going around to the northerners saying, join with us. You right. know, you, you do have this, this guy came back to life. You really want to follow him. Right. And that should have at least been a, should we use that debate? And we didn't even see any of that. It was like a thing that nobody mentioned. Yeah, and, well, like, and just a little bit more angst or, or, like, questioning or, like, what, you know, why am I back? You know, there there was none of that. I, I really, I mean, I liked how they handled him coming back, but not afterwards. Like, once he was back, I expected a little bit more, let's talk about this. What does it mean? Am I something special? Because we never even saw Melisandre, you know, kind of talk to him other than that first conversation right after he was brought back. So I just kind of, you know, I wish there had been a little bit more to do with his resurrection because obviously it's a pretty damn big thing. And well, Corey, really Smith and I, Corey Smith and I had a long conversation in chat today about Star Wars, oh, and it ended up, it ended up, <laughs> it ended up talking about the conversation about Jon Snow's re- rebirth and why, you know, we we kind of just glossed over his story about coming back. And you, Corey was right, like. I would have loved to have seen him tell his story to Sansa. Like we never saw that, and that yeah. was an important piece. That like, would have that been should huge. Have been, that would have been nice to see her reaction to that. Like, yeah, okay, Sansa's had it tough, and I'm sorry she's had it tough. She's had it probably the toughest of all the Starks, probably. Except that she didn't die and then come back. Yeah, she didn't die and come back, but she's had it really, really, really fucking bad. And John has been murdered. And then come back, and we didn't get to see that conversation. Yeah, and so like that would have been super important. Yeah, and, and you know, to considering me, no, no, go, go, go. Okay, to to me, that would have been a more believable reason for Santa not to trust John than the whole manufactured shit with Littlefinger. If you're wanting to go that direction, you could have her. You know, I don't really, I don't know. He's back from the dead. What does that mean? Is is he possessed? Is he? You know what I mean? You could have easily gone that angle if you'd had that conversation like you're saying, Razor. And I just would, I mean, because that's, that would, yeah, that would have been a huge conversation for them to have. You know, hey, I died. Oh, what's new with you? You know, that yeah. type of thing. And they didn't have anything. And my thought is, uh, the other is from the other direction. Sansa wants to, you know, she she wants to win this war at all costs. This is a tool she could have used. We never saw her even contemplate using it. Yeah. Exactly. And then another another thing that we get is when John's walking alive, he, he comes down the steps and Tormund tells him the wildlings all think he's a god. Okay, that's cool. The men of the Night's Watch know he's been resurrected and he's alive. And he hangs the traitors and kills them, and then he says he's, he's his watch is done. You've got you've got eyewitnesses to his rebirth, right? You've got an entire wilding army. You've got men of the Night's Watch. Some of them are knights. Some of them are honorable men. Not all of them. Some of them are thieves and rapers or whatever you want to call them. But some, of, some of them are, are anointed knights that took the black. They are reliable witnesses to what happened to Jon Snow. And they could have told his story. And that never happened. And like you said, you're absolutely right. This was never picked back up again and until we saw it in episode 9, The Battle of Bastards, when he says, don't bring me back. And it's like, come on, guys. Why are we forgetting that this ever happened? This was a momentous occasion, and I can't even imagine how 
George R. R. Martin's going to handle it in the books. I mean, obviously, he didn't in the show. John doesn't whisper ghost in the show as he does in the books. That's his right. last, his final thought in the book is ghost, and the reader is left to infer that John's uh, soul or spirit is warged in the ghost because in the in the book he's got the warging abilities of. He's, he's thought out to be a powerful warg, so we, we think that he wargs in a ghost, so we don't know how it's going to happen in the books. But in the show, he's just, hey, let's cut his hair, let's shave his pubes, and let's bring him back. And and then let's never talk about it again. And it, it, you know, it would also, if they had explained it a little better, it would also explain why, you know, why didn't John run up to the red woman after Rickon died? Said, hey, you know, come on, let's do the same thing, I want my brother back. <laughs> I want I want Rickon and I want one one back. Right, and bring bring the giant and bring Rick on back, right. please. And so a little <laughs> bit more explanation as to why you know John even a small comment from John like you know that coming back to life is not something I'd want on anybody or something like that. You could have explained it, but we really they really did just kind of gloss over it, which I wasn't necessarily a big fan of. Well, let's move on to the end of The Red Woman, and this was the first shocking reveal of the season, and I don't think that anybody saw this coming except for the fact that it was leaked, and Annie, you know what I'm talking about, because this was the major mind-blowing leak that was leaked on the Reddit, and this was the fact that uh, Melisandre's actually 400 years old, and she looks like... uh, uh, oh, she 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 looks like Miracle Max's old mother. Yeah, yeah, she looks like Miracle Max. So, uh, like, what what's what's going through your mind? Well, when you see, you see this, I that's mean, another thing that you, got you, dropped, isn't it? Yeah, it did. We saw her without her necklace on. She's she's old. And by the way, she may have been old and Miracle Max looking, but but goddamn, for four hundred years old, she still holds up pretty well. Uh, well, you know, I, I'm not going to comment. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who does not comment on other women's bodies. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, that did kind of feel like a shock that didn't go anywhere. Let, let's let show the shocking thing and then let's forget all about it. And that's partly because Melisandre was basically gone for the rest of the season. Like, she didn't really, like, show up again until episode nine. And then in episode ten, she's banned and sent away. You know, like, that's it. And so, like, there was level. There was a level of, you know, okay. So we had this shock for, you know, this is when people complain that Game of Thrones has shocks for the sake of having shocks. Looking back over the season, this kind of feels like one of them. Yeah, it does because we you you, you had you had Melisandre disrobe, and we've seen we've seen Melisandre naked several times on the on the show, ever since she was brought on in season two. She she's been naked several times. She gave birth to a shadow baby, and uh, she was she had sex with Stannis on a table, which that seemed like it hurt because there were like chess pieces that seemed to go up <laughs> in all kinds of holes and everything. That didn't seem comfortable. And she's been naked several times. It's just like this time she she disrobed, she took off her necklace, and she turned old, and and then she, and it never happened again. She didn't show anybody herself, so it was never revealed. You would think that in episode 10, when John tells her to ride south, that would have been the time to disrobe. Or not disrobe, but take the necklace off. <laughs> Goddamn. Don't disrobe. I'm sorry. Never do that again. That would have been time to take the necklace off. 
That would have been time to say, listen, if you doubt my power or you doubt my God's power, check this shit out. Take the necklace off and show them. Maybe they wouldn't have banished her then. You know? I, you know, but, I don't know, but the fact of the matter is is that there were a lot of things that happened in the early part of the season that were just sort of lost over the, you know, the fact of the matter is the first five episodes were like a, a, a series of punches to the face, you know? They were punches, like they were one, two, three, four, five yeah. punches to the face. And, but because of that, a lot of what we start, got at the very beginning of the season were basically, by the time we reached episode eight, nine, ten, you know, that was all very old news that might as well have happened back in season three. <laughs> this is true. Uh, Isis, you wanted to say something really quick. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand where you guys are coming from saying that, you know, the season kind of glossed over some important information or conversations. And <clears throat> and I'm not saying that, that they were it was purposely done, but I feel like I'm going to give the show a chance to kind of like they have a vision of where they want this this to go to and I'm going to go ahead and believe in them that that wasn't an overlook, an oversight. It was actually you know, purposefully that, okay, hey, you know, this happened, you know, a season ago or a season and a half ago, and then we're going to bring it back up again. And, right. um, and, and Game of Thrones has done, has done that several times, you know, yes, it and it with, has. with characters, storylines and things like that. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, as a show watcher, strictly as a show watcher, it wasn't some, maybe book readers, felt this way but as a show watcher i was okay with not having the uh conversation between him and sansa you know or if they did it happened off camera i'm okay with it i was there i saw it happen (laughs) i don't need it to be rehashed again uh to to show me that he he had told sansa what had transpired or whatever i'm good i was there i saw it and sansa telling her about maybe about her rape and all that stuff that happened to her i don't have to watch that either because i saw it I don't have to relive it. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with it, and, and I can press on with it, but I'm, I understand that if the show brings it back next season to, you know, to have this conversation, especially if there is a Danny um, and a uh, Jon Snow meetup, uh, as I like to refer to them, meetups, uh, that, they would, <laughs> that this would come up again. To tweet up. By the way, that yeah. that would be an that, that would be an aunt and a and a nephew meetup. Yeah. Not even the third weirdest thing we've seen happen. Second. No, no, no. <laughs> but I would like to note that I agree. I don't know who mentioned this, but you know, season the the first episode, the Red Woman seems so far away and seems because of all the stuff that happened this season, um, it seems so far away. And I didn't. I didn't even realize it until I was reading, you know, the synopsis of Red Woman again, just to kind of refresh my memory. But that Cersei lost not only she lost two children in one season, one at the beginning of this uh, season in the Red Woman, which she finds out that her daughter's dead. And then at the end of the season, in the last episode, her son dies. By killing himself. I mean, that is a that is a lot of shit that you have to freaking put up with in one season, and no wonder she went freaking nuts. You bring up a great point. This is another way Game of Thrones connects back to things they set up earlier. This and can I? I want to hurt- jump on that because you just you literally softballed this to me, and I, yeah, I hate to interrupt go you. Go ahead. Um, but as, no, you as, a, so you, as you you're right, I don't shut the. Fuck up. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Speaking of things that they've referenced before, I want to take everybody back in time to when um, the Red Woman, when, when Melisandre 
met up with Thoros of wherever and yeah. and Beric Don Dong Dong and uh, <laughs> Thoros goes into his whole thing about how he was a bad priest and he didn't believe in the gods anymore whenever he resurrected uh Beric. Yeah. And he says that he got down beside his friend who had just been, you know, stabbed in the heart by the mountain and says, you know, I said the old words, uh, not because he believed in them, but because he was his friend and he was dead. And it's the only thing he knew what to do. And the Lord replied to him and everything worked out, right? Kind of. I mean, he still has a big hole in his chest and everything, but still, I mean, like he came back, right? Yeah. That That's what we saw happen number by number, step by step with Melisandre this season. We yeah. saw, you know, her removing that necklace was, there's a lot of stuff because like Corey talked about it and Annie talked about it, that like you guys wanted more exposition necessarily between characters kind of describing, you know, what they went through to each other. What those like, I, I actually, I disagree with all of that. I think that the actions of these characters that we saw did a great job for me as a show watcher because I do think that that skews my viewing of their characters a little bit. But because if you're a book reader, then you're used to the the writing and the internal monologue and stuff with these characters that we don't get on this show. But I, I think that you look at how John acted after he got back, the the pause before he cut the rope and, and hung the the his Ollie and the rest of them. Um, the way that he acted on the battlefield, the way he acted uh, toward Melisandre, the way Melisandre acted whenever she's there, she looks, she sees Jon Snow dead, because you know, that was her idea, was like, oh man, I thought he was going to be the one. I've lost all faith, and my God, I, I, maybe I don't have a God anymore. Take this necklace off and sleep for the first time in eight months. And I mean, it was just, she said those words just because Davos asked. She wasn't going to do it. You know, that was right. Davos who said you should go try some magic or something. And with Jon Snow, the way I think it all culminated with him in the Battle of the Bastards, and I know we're getting way ahead here, but um, whenever he couldn't turn back, the arrows behind him, and he in front of him was the cavalry, and he just takes off his sheath and just gets a little more mobility there, and is like, you know what, if I die, I really don't care because I've been dead, and it was kind of peaceful, and my life has been absolute shit since I left Winterfell. And, right. uh, you know, for me, like, that was very powerful, this, the way that he held his sword up. He was just going to take him on. And, and then whenever his, his men catch up to him right at this you know, exact moment, you know, the look of confusion on his face, because he expected to die right there. And I, expected, yeah. yeah, and I think that, that, that those moments did enough. The way that he beat the shit out of uh, Ramsey, that was not because he killed Rickon. We can go ahead and assume that, that Sansa, the way he looked at Sansa after he was pounding on a dude's face, we know that Sansa told him everything. We didn't, oh, need, yeah. we didn't need that moment because then it might end up being handled not great, and you might end up with another Tyrion with knock-knock fart-around time with the two <laughs> slaves, Marine. you know, in Marine, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and I, and I don't want to, like, I don't know. It seems like, I, I, I know I'm rambling, but the actions of the characters like that were almost more important and more powerful once you really start observing what they were doing than if they'd have had those moments where they explained to each other 
here's why I feel bad. I had a knife in my gut, and then another one. <laughs> like, now the one, felt, now the one. I felt really sad at this moment. The one exception to that is I want Mopey John and Mopey Sansa to meet up with Arya, and then to be like, "Oh, it's been so shitty. Where have you been? What what did you go through? Well, let me tell you what I've done over the last few <laughs> years. All I want, man, all I want, and I wrote about this today on my Game of Thrones bucket list, is for John and Arya to hug. Yeah, one fucking more time before the series ends because we got them hugging in uh, episode two of season one before John leaves for the wall and he gives her a needle and they hug and then he leaves and goes for the wall and she goes to King's Landing and that's the last time they see each other and they were very very close and they I would just love for her to travel from the twins after slitting Walder Frey's throat and killing his heirs and causing chaos at House Frey and hopefully freeing up her her uncle um, and restoring him back to uh, – and help freeing him and hopefully he goes back to River Run. Um, and maybe she goes back to Winterfell, hopefully. I'm, ho- I'm hoping. That will be nice. But anyway, um, Corey Smith, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, – Brienne and uh, the the scene where she Jesus. gives her sword. I mean, we were we were talking about the first episode before we went way off track. But anyway, my bad. Listen, we're gonna bounce. We're gonna bounce all over the place. It doesn't matter. Bounce back to the first episode. My favorite, Corey. My first episode, my favorite uh, scene in that entire first episode was the scene where Brienne pledged her service to Santa, because you know you had first. I mean, the scene starts off kind of dark. You know, you think, "Oh, great, Santa and Theon, they're going back to Winterfell," and all of a sudden, Brienne and Pod come in and they just start smashing the shit out of all those Bolton sh- uh, soldiers. Man, I forgot all about that. Yeah, and it was Wait, just so you didn't. It, you didn't have a problem with the fact that their hounds disappeared. You know, okay, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to upset the, you know, SBA people or whatever. But you know, I, I loved how Brienne just kind of smashed into that scene, rescued Sansa, and then the, you know, the look of relief on Brienne's face when she's finally accepted into Sansa's service and she's finally, at least starting to fulfill her vow to Catelyn Stark after failing for basically, what, two seasons or two-plus seasons, you know? So I love that scene. It was, to me, it was the most powerful scene in the episode, and, uh, yeah, definitely I was my favorite. Yeah, I think it was very nice, and plus she does it with uh, a remnant of Sansa's father's sword, Ice, which is now Oathkeeper, which is doubly awesome. So um, well, I do want to say about the hounds too, because everybody because it's a huge joke like little oh, Ramsey's hounds. Those weren't Ramsey's hounds. Those were bloodhounds. They were those were blood. They, exactly. They're not attack dogs. They're droopy dogs. Like well, there's this dog went over that way, and they run over that way, and you follow them. And whenever Brienne showed up with a horse or making those noise, they ran away. We saw the giant half pit bull, half bigger pit bull dogs that that Ramsey had because they ate his face. So um, they ate his face. They did. I mean, so like those weren't the same dogs. Only Ramsey can control those dogs. I think that's kind of the point of that. Those those bloodhounds were not 
they you know they weren't attack dogs but it became a big joke and, and i remember once on reddit typing out a thing like no you guys they were blood and people being like oh, shut up we're we're circle jerking here it's like yeah we are why <laughs> why are we wasting time you, with it <laughs> listen if you ever watch any of preston jacobs youtube videos which he did a series all season long of uh uh, watch videos after after each episode, and they were hilarious, and he did skit characters. Um, it was pretty cool. It was kind of funny, but he made fun of the fact all season long that those hounds disappeared in episode one. Like, he really, really harped on it, but it was hilarious. Anyway, um, let's, let's, let's get off of episode one. We've stayed here too long, and we're going to... We're going to bounce around, and that's fine, but let's get on to Home, Episode 2. And this is where John actually came back to life, and we've already talked about it, blah, 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 Time blah. Out. We forgot about the everybody's favorite scene in Episode 1. Well, what? What, what are you talking the about? The Dorn. Uh, Dorn Corner. <laughs> oh, God. How did I forget? I tried. Listen, man, I blocked that out of my mind. Why did you have to bring it back up? Well, because we were talking about it, so, you know. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Now I'm going to have nightmares. Uh, okay, so, yeah. Listen, Dor- listen, Dorn Martell and, and Oreo. Dorn and, yeah. Dorn and Oreo got killed. <laughs> Oreo? Is that not what it is? <laughs> Oreo Hotel. No, the the gigantic oh, John Hoka. Coffee looking guy. Okay. Oh, yeah. John <laughs> Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Dead man walking. <laughs> listen, man, Oreo Hotel was done a disservice. So I've in, heard. By Game of Thrones. Any listen. Anyway, they could have saved Doran Mort- Martell and Ario Hota and Tristane, and they could have killed the Sand Snakes, and I would have been much happier. But whatever. They wanted to go with a power power female lineup for Daenerys. I see where they were going with I know why they were doing it. So the Queen of Thorns, Olena Tyrell, could hook up with the Sand Snakes and and Elarius uh, Sand, and they could all sail across the Narrow Sea, and they could all come back across the Narrow Sea, and whatever, be part of Daenerys' female power lineup. With Spice Girls. The Spice Girls with Varys No Balls and uh, Theon No Balls. So they could all be, like, whatever. Super vagina power. I don't care. Whatever. They still killed off one of my favorite characters from the books, Dorn Martell is a master chess player, and they killed him off. They, they did him a disservice on the show. I've written many articles about it. I hate the fact they, they did him so terrible, and they gave his, they gave his lines in episode 10 the uh, vengeance, justice, fire, and blood to Varys and Ilaria. The only thing they did right was the fact that they let Olenna shut down the sand snakes. Yeah, and, and that's the only thing. I mean, I, I think in the, the last episode, I, I laid out a pretty great way you could have kept them all alive by just having Christine be in the sept and <laughs> die, and that would spark Doran to side with Danny. But the here, yeah, here's, but on the flip side of that, if they hadn't have done all of this killing Doran and and uh, Chips Ahoy. And the rest of those guys, if they hadn't have done that, then we wouldn't have had all of these wonderful moments of you just bitching about characters that nobody that just watches the show gives a shit about. <laughs> so, <laughs> me and Isis over here, like, I didn't care about them one way or the other. So, I don't know why you're so upset, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so they killed Doran off. And they had Sporty Spice kill Aria Hota off with one knife to the back. 
Arya gets gut shanked two or three times, twisted sideways. She falls in shit and piss water. But the biggest man on Game of Thrones, besides the mountain, and Hodor, and Hodor, and Hodor, and one one, and one one, and Small John, gets fucking stabbed in the back once and dies. Frank and Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> We're naming off a lot of characters. Bigger Shut than up! Nick. You're all you're all done. The dragons all done. are pretty Shut big up. too. Yeah, they're... Shut up! You're George all done. Your is not tiny, Celeste. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> My word is law. Anyway. He dies by one stab, so it was a pretty. But by the way, his his death by shanking to the back set up set up pretty pretty well. Lancel's <laughs> Lancel stabbed to the back. Yeah, so I mean, you're right. You, you know, they referenced that early in the season. So what we've learned is so there you go. Yeah. So you, you just solved everything. You can't bitch about you're Lancel right. stabbing you're, to the back. You're right because if if it can kill. Uh, El Fudge and kill Lancel. I'm just naming him different cookies. Um, then, Are you hungry? I'm a little. <laughs> but, listen, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Now it totally makes sense, Razor. You're 100% correct. Getting stabbed in the stomach. There's a lot more room for knives in there. In the back, it's just like like what? skin and spine. Annie. You people we, we, make no sense. There's, there's, I feel like we've gotten yeah. off track somehow. Oh, no way, man. No, it makes perfect sense, and if you would pay attention, you would understand. Let's let's move on. Let's move on to Hodor. So anyway, John got resurrected. He got stabbed in the front, not the back. If they stabbed him in the back, they couldn't have brought him back to the dead. Boom. Yep. Boom. So anyway, so Dorn was finished, and the Spice Girls live. Anyway, moving on to home. Let's get off this fucking episode. Move on to home. Jon Snow was brought back to life. Isis, did you rejoice when your when your when your man was brought back at the end of the episode? Of course I did. I don't think anybody wallowed in his resurrection more than myself. If you followed us on Twitter and on all the you know and follow, did you get a little bit of a resurrection yourself? I, I did. I got a resurrection that night and uh, after the episode, it was amazing. And uh, but you know and and granted, I like I said, I thought. To me, that was wonderful. You know, he should now be called Sexy Jesus because he has been resurrected. Uh, he has been, you know, resurrected from the dead. But that wasn't the only thing that I felt like was really interesting. Um, I mean, there was so much going on in this episode. Uh, one of the main things that stuck out to me was that we actually got to see the uh, we, uh, Winterfell uh, back in in the day when Ned and and Lyanna were uh, younger, and and one of them being Hodor, Hodor speaks. Holy shit! And his name is Willis. And, and his name is Willis. And and that to me is one of the things that the second thing that stuck into my mind. Uh, you know that it was just to me an amazing, um, you know, amazing kind of throwback. And I think we talked a lot about the casting of the young actors on the show and how, and I think this was the first episode that we actually saw that we saw these wonderful casts uh, of children that were, uh, you know, portraying adults that had already been on the show and they did a magnificent, magnificent job. Oh, Game of Thrones has always done a great job of casting the children. Uh, like in Liana Mormont is uh, Bella Ramsey is the perfect example of that. But uh, Annie, how did you feel seeing Tyrion 
uh, interact with Rhaegal and Viserion, the dragons in the pit. Oh, I thought that was probably, like, one of his best pieces of acting all season. Like, oh, it, had to... it was, I mean, especially every time you remembered that there's actually nothing there. Like, that's oh, God, the thing that, yeah. that, I mean, the dragons feel so real in this show, and the CGI people work so hard, and they do such an amazing job with them, you know, and it's just, that, that whole scene, like, you know, where he's telling them the story about how much he wanted, you know, dragons. He wanted a dragon when he when he was, and he even was cute about it, and used to, and tried to use his size to his advantage. And everyone just laughed at him, and yeah, there weren't any dragons, and now now in the world there were dragons, and it was a beautiful thing. And he, the way he unchained them, everything about that scene was so touching. And then I remembered again that there were no actual dragons there. He was totally doing that with pantomime, and that's amazing. What's well, like a tennis ball on the end of a stick? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, in in some instances, it's a it's a it's a boom lift with a forty with a flamethrower strapped to it, depending on what they need the dragons to do. Um, but yeah, like there's basically. Basically, he's doing. He's not doing it with an actual animal. He's acting completely blind, and it, it was just, you know, if if Tyr- if Peter Dinklage gets an Emmy this year, that should be part of why. Yeah. See, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. This season, and here's why I consider season six to be one of the better seasons. Is so many actors stand out from this season, and Peter Dinklage's scenes. There are so many scenes from this season that Peter Dinklage stands out from, and that, season, that scene stands out to me as one of the best. But Corey Smith, does this confirm that Tyrion is a secret with a K? Targaryen! Yeah, oh my god. The question is this so again. annoying. This again. Every time, and that scene just like blew everybody up. And they're like, see, he's really a Targaryen. See, he's really a Targaryen. I'm like, no, he's not. Everybody is not a secret Targaryen. But, I mean, I agree with Annie. That scene was by far my favorite of the episode. It was, I mean, Peter Dinklage can literally act the shit out of a scene with a tennis ball on a stick. Like, yeah. he, like it's just amazing to see him act with basically nothing there or even with a good actor on the other side. So I'm, I agree with Annie. That was, that was one of my favorite scenes of the episode. Um, so yeah, definitely that. And then the other part that stood out is, you know, this episode we had the. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> we had, um, you know, you had Balon dying in this episode. You had, yeah, the first had... we had the emergence of, of, uh, Euron Greyjoy. Right. And you had Roos dying in this episode. And so this was the oh, kind of episode coupled right. with everybody that got knocked off in Dorne in the first episode. We really kind of thought, hey, they're really speeding things along this season because they're just knocking off pretty major characters left and right. So They also introduced, because we went to Winterfell, they also introduced Max von Sydow. Didn't they? Yes, this, this is the this, episode this, where they where they brought Bran back and uh, introduced Max von Sydow. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking Rickon, but yeah. Yeah, because he was he. This was his first scene as the Three Eyed Raven right. in Game of Thrones, right. replacing the old Three Eyed Raven. Uh, man, what an amazing actor! Man, we had some amazing actors in Game of Thrones in season six. That was very cool. Okay, so anybody else got anything they want to say about episode two, home? Uh, yeah, can we talk about the dogs eating Walda and the baby? 
Oh yeah, see, there was another person that died. <laughs> Shit. You're gonna, you're, you're. Listen, man, you're gonna set Annie off. Yeah, I, re- <laughs> I remember. I remember our conversation about the scene, and I, I just was my. my I mean, my I guess. Although, although this Annie, you kind of came full circle whenever Ramsey got eaten by his dog. Yeah, when Ramsey you? got eaten by the dog, so I was like, okay, so that's why we thought. Through. That was gonna be my question. Now that the season is ended, when you look back at that scene, you look back at that episode, really. Because um, that episode, you have Roots get stabbed like he stabbed Rob, and yep. you had, uh, you know, I'm going to call her Rotundwalda. Uh, get <laughs> eight. No, she, she, no, she's Fat Walda. That's her name in the uh, books. Ple- pleasantly Plump Walda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Waddle and Walda, but they had her uh, get eaten by the dogs, and then, you know, Ramsey yeah, so eaten by the dogs. So there's a lot so of... Basically, like, it's, 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 back, so it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of the past and a reflection of the future. Sure, yeah. yeah I mean, I, so, I mean, are you still very anti that scene, or... I still would never watch that scene again. Like, if that okay. scene ever came out, I would fast-forward the heck through it, because... But then again, I would fast-forward basically through every single Ramsey scene that happens in Season 3. I, I didn't need to see any of Theon's torture on screen. I didn't need to see it. it. wasn't in the books when I was perfectly fine with it not being in the books. I didn't need to see it on screen either. And there's just, in general, a disagreement that I have with the show on how it handled Ramsey. Um, and that's just, uh, you know, to me, you don't need to show everything. Um, you can it, well. There, there was some torture in the books. It wasn't like that, but there was some torture. And the, well, a lot of the torture in the books is things like referencing or inferring, like you know, um, making him chew his own fingers off. And shit yeah, like. or uh, you know, one that I bring up a lot is a uh, you know Jane Poole. She's literally like curled up in a ball, and Theon is trying to rescue her, and she says, "Tell him, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever he wants. I'll even do the dogs again." And you realize yeah. that she's saying that she will, that she'll fuck the dogs again because that's what he's been forcing her to do, and it's horrifying. Yeah. She doesn't actually yeah. say it. We never actually see it, but that's enough. And that's yeah. the kind of thing the book does that I feel like the show could do more when it came, could have done more when it came to Ramsay, and instead they just outright showed things. And to me, and that's a, that's a, because, and that's, again, the difference between a show watcher and a book reader. For me, in that case, my imagination does just fine without you actually showing it to me. And, (laughs) you know, so, yeah. I mean, you guys were not raised on Die Hard. If you want more conversation about sad stuff and less violence on screen, you bunch of dorks between you and Corey. (laughs) I've, I've never seen Die Hard. Yes. Are you serious? Who hired? Who? 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 Woman. I. 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 Shame. 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 I'm a pop culture junkie because I grew up completely deprived of pop culture until I was about 12. My parents got a television for the first time in 1989, and I know it was 1989 because I remember very specifically watching MTV for the first time. And the three first three videos I ever saw were Debbie Gibson playing a piano. Paula Abdul tap dancing and Madonna dancing to a bunch of burning crosses. Oh my god! So yeah, no, there's an entire like '80s like milieu that I'm still catching up on, and some of them I just I, I, those are a bunch of Christmas movies that we'll get to eventually. I haven't gotten yeah. there yet. Well, so Annie, say, Annie, I'm going to text you the next time that show is on HBO, and and we're gonna we're gonna live tweet the shit out of out of Die Hard because <laughs> Die Hard might be. One of I my just, top five movies ever. I ever. do know that that's where uh, Kippie motherfuckers comes from, though. I do know that. <laughs> Close enough. Now I will Close say enough. I will say this: 
just to, to get back to what you said about the, uh, Theon's torture, I do know because I've, I've heard other people who are big book readers like you guys say that the reveal in the book was just so awesome with his chapter being titled Reek and you not finding out until like the very end of it, right, that he's Theon, right? And then how it happens. Yeah, because we don't see so, him from the second book all the way until yeah. the fourth. Yeah, so, so it's like this big, huge, off-the-hell right. moment, and I, I totally get, like, right. there's nothing the show could have done that would have been that cool. You remember your name. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing the show could have done that would have been that cool. So instead, they went the more practical route in showing the process. And I, I do think that the process went on too long because it got really, oh, here we are again. Uh, but I do What's think... What's he going to chop off this time? Yeah, well, exactly. Well, it got very cartoonish. Cartoonish, yes, it's exactly. When he's... When he's, when he's the sausage when he's waving the sausage back and forth. Still one of my yeah, favorite I mean, gifts. It's the fa- it's the most popular gift you can use in anything in any situation. So I mean, like, come on, it's it's it was overdone, but whatever. Um. So uh, Corey Smith, what about what about home stuck out to you? I mean, we had one one smashing uh, a, a Night's Watchman into the wall, kind of like what he does in the books with Sir Patrick of of uh. What was it? Sir Patrick? Uh, King's Mountain. King's Mountain. Boom. Boom. Just have to throw that out there. Anyway. Nice job. Um, You know, obviously you had the big moment at the end with John, you know, coming back to life, which I thought the scene itself was handled pretty well um, because... We got some booty. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Not for that reason, but, you know, they handled it really well. They didn't make it obvious in the... And I felt like they lingered just long enough to make you feel like, okay, he's not going to come back this episode. You knew he was coming back, but they made the scene go so long that you thought, okay, she's got to do something else. You know, maybe she didn't know the spell or whatever it was. And so you, they, they teased it just long enough. And then, it's, of course, as soon as Ghost perks up, you know, okay, here it comes. Yeah, as soon as he moved, right. I was like... Right. He was inside Ghost the whole time. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, you had that. And then I think we, we touched on that excellent scene with Tyrion and the dragons. And then, you know, with with Roose dying, with Balon dying, with Fat Walda dying, and, and all of that, it, it really kind of, to me, that was when we kind of first felt like, okay, this season is not going to be like season five, and we're just going to be, you know, bang, bang, bang. We're going to hit this stuff quick. We're going to move on to the next because last season, you know, season five was obviously dragged really long. And so, I mean, I think we were talking after that episode just about how shocked we were, not necessarily what happened, but how soon it happened. Like we all kind of figured, you know, Ramsey would take out, take out Roos and then obviously take out Fat Walda and his little brother, you know, but we were just kind of shocked that it happened so quickly. So we did not expect it to hit us this fast. Right. It was just it was just from the first two episodes and we slowed down in the middle of the season, but definitely Well, it kept it the pace kept going with episode 3 and Oathbreaker. Right. Like, right. Yeah, I think 5 and 6 was where we slowed down a bit, but you know, those first two episodes it was like we're eliminating people left and right and setting stuff in motion. And I mean, it was definitely a change of pace from season, season 5. Well, episode three saw John come back and walk among the wildlings. Uh, Tormund said that they that, that he was seen as a god, and question, finally, question: If yes, he was seen as yes. a god, why did he then also have to convince the wildlings the wildlings to fight for him? 
That was weird. Yeah, that was kind of a continuity error. Okay, I kind of thought myself. Like well, I, I thought, agree with you. I thought that the wildlings didn't didn't believe in in like they believed God. in the old gods. They believe in the old gods. Okay. But he would, uh, which means he could have been seen as one of the old gods. I guess I don't know. They didn't explain it very well, but. Tormund said he was seen as a god. So. Some type of god. Some type of god. Not, not uh, the god, not a god. And I also think that uh, regardless of, I mean, how many people, you know, the, the whole resurrection thing, the whole messianic part of that, like like Jesus, a lot of people didn't believe they actually saw Jesus in the stories after they first saw him until he made his presence really known. So, yeah. I mean, like, it doesn't matter if they weren't there when he was resurrected then they might not actually believe that he was resurrected. You have you have to be there to see it yeah. and believe it and whatever. So yeah, um, but everybody's everybody's most hated little shit got hanged, and that was an oathbreaker. That was an as an oathbreaker. Yes, an oathbreaker, and he was hanged for an oathbreaker. And I have to say, I feel sorry for the guy who played Ollie. Uh, what was his name? Brennick O'Connor. Uh, O'Connor. The kid took it very well, and he was—he took it on the chin and handled it with, with with grace. But man, he was probably the most hated character on Game of Thrones. And there was a whole entire subreddit subreddit called "fuck up, fuck Ollie," and people hated him from the time he killed Ygritte to the time he died and was hanged. So, uh. <laughs> I gotta give it to him. He handled it quite well, and um, I don't know, man. It would it was it was nice to see John get revenge on Alistair Thorne. You know, so but even that, you know, when Sir Alistair was about to be hanged, tongue, however you pronounce it, uh, hanged, hanged. Um, you know, his last words to John were not. You know, you kind of felt for Sir Alistair a bit. He was an asshole, but you at least you kind of understood that he didn't. You know, he said, "I took a shot, I fought, and now I rest." And so, I respect the shit out of Thor. Yeah, and I always have. Yeah, and up until that point, you know, even in the first two episodes, you really didn't. He was kind of just being the asshole, and you could see in that scene that you know he wasn't necessarily trying to be the asshole, but he felt like he had to be. So, and then, you know, with Ollie, you know, that little kid, you know, I don't know. I kind of feel bad for him because he, you know, he, I felt like when he stabbed John in season five, it was more out of anger that he felt kind of betrayed by John. And that he felt he had found a place that he could belong and that he believed in after the death of his family. And John was betraying that. And I think that was really where it was kind of coming from. And so I don't think he ever lost that anger towards John, even after killing him. So, yeah, and you know what I would say is we shouldn't feel too sorry for that actor because he has an amazing resume now. Yes, he does. Yeah, and he has yes, name he recognition, and yeah, I expect him to have a decent. There, there are several smaller kid parts from the last couple of seasons that I expect to have decent careers. Bella Thorne being another one. I mean, I expect that. I mean, uh, that that child just became like a number one little girl to go to um, for that kind of stereotypical uh, character now for the next oh, five Bella years. Ramsey? Oh, Bella Ramsey. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Bella Thorne is not the same person that is the celebrity. <laughs> Sorry. Are you talking about Sorry. No, 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 no. no, no. no, no. Bella Thorne is actually. Oh. 
Oh, okay. Exactly I didn't know who that was. I just, but it sounded very I Harry Potter. Sort of smushed the bangs together. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we also saw Sam and Gilly, but and the baby on the boat, and Sam barf up. But that wasn't what I want to talk about. What was really cool was we got in Oathbreaker our very first look at the Tower of Joy, which was something that was we weren't expecting to happen in Episode Three. We were expecting. Tower of Joy to happen in episode five, right, Annie? That's correct. Um, you know, the fact that they t- drag all of the directors around with them from place to place means that, you know, directors get spotted and we think, ooh, that's who's directing that scene. That's not actually who's directing that scene. That person's there to see it because they need to know about it for another scene that they're doing later on. So, you know, and with the, uh, in episode five, we have the flashbacks that included bits of that scene. So that's why Jack Thorne was there. But that's, you know, we get a lot of that uh, where we speculate and turn out to be wrong. So then we had that amazing fight between Ned Stark and Helen Reed and all in, in the, and the Bannerman with Ned Stark against the Targaryen uh, Kingsguard, uh, Kingsguard led by Sir Arthur Dane, the, uh, and he had his uh, amazing dual-wielding capabilities, and they fought, and, and we find out that it was Ned Stark that – it was Helen Reed that provided uh, uh, a stab in the back, and then Ned Stark cut his throat. He stabbed you know him what? in the back. He stabbed him in the back just like Oreo and just like uh, Lancel. <laughs> oh, for, for the record? And he you was know in what? armor. I just thought of this because I didn't actually catch this. That means Helen Reed didn't follow him up into the Tower of Joy. Helen Reed was not there. Helen Reed was not there to witness it, but they did make a point to show Wyla, the nursemaid. They showed her face very clearly. I think we're going to see Wyla some more. I just have a feeling we haven't seen the last of Wyla. Because I, my wife and I are re-watching Game of Thrones. We always do this when the season's over. We watch episode... Season 1, Episode 1, all the way through the final episode of whatever season we're on. So we watched Season 1, Episode... We started with Season 1, Episode 1, on July 4th, and we're up to Season 2 right now. And when Ned and Robert are on the King's Road, and they're they're in that uh, field eating, and Robert's giving him a hard time about uh, the mother of his bastard, and uh, he goes, what's the name of your, your, uh, your bastard's mother? And he goes, Wyla. And I was like, oh my god, that is such a red herring. Holy shit. Because in the books, we know that Wyla is, is, was the, the nursemaid, the wet nurse, the Tower of Joy. Right. They made a point to show her face, and I think we'll see her again in Season 7 because we know that Bran's going to see it. Anyway, um, there's a lot of other things that happened uh, at the Tower of Joy. Bran called to his father. And Ned turned around because he could hear something, and so we found out that Bran could affect things. And this was the first clue to something that would happen in Episode 5, which we will get to in a minute. But we found out that Bran could affect things in the past because he called out to his father, and he turned around, and he looked and didn't see anything, but he stopped. And so that was the first clue to show Watchers that Bran could affect things in the past. But that wasn't the only thing that happened in Oathbreaker. Um, <clears throat> we saw the High Sparrow and working his puppet strings with Tommen. Um, what, what did you think about this, Corey Thone? Uh, the High Sparrow working with Tommen. We saw him really, really 
trying to control things, and this is where we really saw him coming into control of the king. Yeah, this is where we started to get a good sense of what Sparrow's end game maybe was, what his goals were. Did you know get it? Get the king on your side. Get the queen on your side. Use the two of them to get rid of Cersei, who you know we all knew was never going to change. Right? He knew that. Yeah. Everyone knew that. And uh, you know we kind of saw how manipulative. Oof. <laughs> Uh, how, <laughs> Too much to drink. Yeah, how that word he could be, uh, while also I think being consistently like true to his ideals. Like I, that's one thing that I think we we did see all the way to the end from the High Sparrow was that he believed it the whole time. His only flaw was in thinking that. Having the you know being that close to God protected him from the devil, and it didn't. And it did not. No, and so that's something that early on in the season I was very frustrated with this character about. Was like, oh, can we get to the part where we see him in a brothel with like a bunch of little boys or something, and he's like <laughs> just the worst person in the world? But that never happened. So like looking back, that scene is a lot more interesting to me now than it was back then. Right, right. So we also saw in this episode Isis. We saw Jamie and Cersei interrupt the small council meeting with their big plan to join forces with House Tyrell. And as we all know, that didn't really work, but at first it seemed like a really good plan. Hindsight being twenty twenty, what do you think of the plan now? Is ISIS even there anymore? <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. I'm I'm sorry. I'm here. Well, but that, I've also I've also been drinking and I'm like trying to remember what the hell happened. That, that didn't happen this episode. <laughs> I was Yes it did. They no, had no, the no. council meeting. Yes, this was the yes, one where they got kicked out. This they got in, kicked oh, out. Right. Not the but, one where they oh, made the I'm team thinking, up. I'm yeah. thinking of the wrong thing. I apologize. I felt farted. Right. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. That's what happened. You're right. Yeah. Dude, you caught Thank me you off the left field because I'm like sitting here going, like, uh, I don't you're, know you're, what you're talking about. We're talking. Thank you for reminding okay, me. Okay, yeah. So, this, I'm wrong. Is this the I episode where Ned Stark dies? Or is that <laughs> the next? <laughs> I'm wrong, guys. I take it back. So this is where we got the we got the little eek out. Like, uh, yeah, the... <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It was hilarious. That was the be- probably one of the best scenes of season six. Yeah. Okay. No, but I, we, something that I felt like was really interesting – well, not interesting, but was really important is that this is the first time we get to see freaking Rickon and Osha in, like, forever. And, and unfortunately, Shaggy Head's dog uh, – head. Uh, <laughs> shaggy Dog. Shaggy Dog. I, I'm, I'm surprised. That, that vodka OJ really got to eat it. Yes. Anyway, so um, – so I just thought that was – I mean, I feel so bad for the guy who plays Rickon because that boy, uh, he has been on the show since the very beginning, and that boy has maybe had an entire page worth of dialogue. I think somebody counted his lines. It was like 25 lines. It, oh, like he actually, you know what, though, of, of, the, of the youngest kids who were cast, he actually outlasted most of them. And he, uh, Tommen, only the kid who was originally cast as Tommen was younger, and he got recast in season four. Um, but you know all the other minor characters of his level were recast before they were brought back 
as but does uh, it matter because he was like missing for like two seasons so i mean anyway it doesn't matter i i I knew instantly when rickon and (laughs) when rick uh rickon and osha uh were presented um to ramsey i i knew they they are in horrible trouble. This is not going to end well, um, which, of course, you know, we all knew that because he wasn't – there's no way that Ramsey was going to go ahead and let these people live. Uh, but it was one of those things like, oh, okay, yeah, these two people that we haven't seen in forever, uh, they're back again. And, um, and it's probably not – you know, and right now they're at Winterfeld in the enemy hands. So Well, Corey Smith – um, we talked about this when this happened on the podcast the Monday after this episode, and I was fully on board with the fact that House Umber was playing a trick on Ramsey. And I was so wrong, like I was just wrong a few minutes ago. Um, Small John was a real dick. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I was on board with you, too. I thought the Umbers, you know, we'd always heard the Umbers are are super loyal, you know, even Ramsey said the Umbers are famously loyal, and so I thought, you know, hey, they're trying to be the inside man, trying to, you know, buddy up with with uh, Ramsey, and then they'll, you know, switch on him at the end, and obviously that didn't come true, so, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess we were wrong. I didn't didn't see that one coming. The well, North forgot. <laughs> what? The North, the North, yeah, the North totally forgot. forgot. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, this is, the TV show does simplify these things. And having a, a family that suddenly switches is, is, is basically too complicated for show watchers, I think, show watcher onlys to really, you know, to follow. That, that would have been a step too far. Like trying to send Mance down undercover to Winterfell to um, – play a lute and have a few wildling women around him to spy on Ramsey. That's just way too complicated. Baby switching's too complicated. This would have been too complicated. That's true. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about that scene was that Shaggy Dog's head was really small. Yeah, you know, apparently the director actually said, are you guys sure that's the right size? And he was, he was assured it was the right size, so he went with it. And every fan who ever lived, ever on the face of the earth, said, no, that dog's head is too small. I mean, compared to all the other direwolves, and like I said, again, my wife and I are in the middle of season two, and um, we just got past the episode where Rob Stark's, you know, uh, Grey Wind goes into the pen with with him to confront Jamie Lannister, and he's fucking monstrous, and he goes up to Jamie Lannister and growls in his face, and Shaggy Dog's head—they're all the same age is like ten times too small compared to what Greywind said is in season two. So it's just a shame that he's that small, but whatever, who cares? Anyway, um, let's talk about Danny a little bit. And she gets uh, presented to Vastothrak, right? In this, to the Dosh Kaleen. Right. To, the, to where all the widows of all the calls go, and they have to live out their lives as... Barren old ladies who, whatever, live in a temple, and um, she gets told that she's going to be raped, or either she's going to be raped, or she's going to live out out of her life as a Dosh Kaleen, right? Basically, because that's what Dothraki do. Either they rape you and kill you, or you get to be a Dosh Kaleen. So, great life, right? So, what 
and 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 that's basically all that happens to her in this episode. This isn't where she comes out and as burning fire lady does. No, does it? that's that's the next episode. This one's the she, next episode. This one she's in Vostothrak and she's hanging out with a Dosh Colleen and she's just kind of finding out that life sucks for those people. And that's basically all we get from from her for over the first three episodes, other than some pretty awesome jokes. Uh, we do have <laughs> we, we yeah we do have uh, the we do have in the next episode uh, we have some jokes from um, Paul Dario Paul. and and, and, oh, yeah. and, uh, and Jorah this about not being dragon. able to ride the dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, whole yeah. season, though, and it's something that I know we talked about early in this season of our podcast was so much more funny. There were more organically funny moments and then more scripted funny moments like the fart or, you know, I mean, like that's, can you imagine a scene like that in, in season five where everything was just the worst all the time? Like, because season five was, um, so unpurposefully funny. Like it was, it was, it was so terribly yeah, Unfunny. The, I still laugh. I will sometimes, if I need to laugh, I'll go back and watch. Uh, watch the uh, fight. God, between well, the, the Sand Snakes. Between, yeah, I was going to say the, the Sand Snakes and, and Jamie. The, watch the fight between the Sand Snakes and Jamie and. Uh, uh, what's Ron. Your name? I, I can't remember Ron. the names Ron. of people. Theon and Sansa Thelma and Louising off of the castle. <laughs> it's still just one of the dumbest. Like, And then we don't even see them land. They're not limping. Yeah, they just like it. We did it! Yay! And it's like, all right, great. Uh, It looks like a Mentos. Apparently that's an Olympic sport in Russia, though, is jumping off buildings into the snow. (laughs) Like, there's... When it came up, like... When they looked looked down from the wall, they saw the ground. There wasn't even piled up snow. I know. I'm stretching. But anyways. Anyway. Whatever. Let's 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 get this thing moving. We're almost to episode five where we can cut this thing off and go to bed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's get on to number to episode four, Book of the Stranger, and we have uh, the big moment. Everybody's been waiting for this moment. Sansa, Brienne, and Pod arrive at Castle Black, and we have the big reunion. John rushes down to his. Uh, well, we now they're cousins now. So I guess hey, they hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Brother and sister, <laughs> as far as they know. That was a brother and sister hug, not a cousin hug. That was a well, brother I mean, and sister hug. If Jamie, if Jamie and, and, and Cersei can do it. Anyway, uh, John runs down. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. John runs down and hugs her. It's a big moment. I actually got tears in my eyes, you guys. Isis, how did you feel about that moment? I... That that moment, and I'm not. I've not been a Sansa fan throughout this. You know, I guess you really have. I, I, you've, I'm, been, I'm, I've been, you've been totally negative. Sansa. I know. I've been. I've been anti Sansa, like our good friend Bandit. And uh, and so this was a moment that I felt like, oh man, this is this is a real soft moment, a you know, a family moment. Uh, but then it it really kind of got overshadowed by something else. And and I'm and I'm completely <laughs> shipping it, and I would like to say Tormund and Brienne, totally shipping. Brienne, hashtag Brienne. Brienne. And, and just remember, Tormund survived. Brienne survived. Next oh, season. Yeah. Yes. Hey hey. Uh, Brienne's coming back to Winterfell. <laughs> anyway, so um, 
I feel like that 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 long awaited Stark reunion was was awesome because we I feel like all these uh brothers of John, brothers and sisters have been trying to get to him for so long because they're all like, well, you know, John's in the north, John's at the wall, John's at John's the wall. At Castle Black. Yeah, we we can get there, you know, and I feel like, you know, Arya uh, Sansa, uh, you know, Rickon, all of them have been trying to get to John, and finally one of them had made it. So it felt like it was kind of one of those, one, you know, you can kind of exhale for a second, um, especially all the things that Sansa had been through. Uh, but I, I'm not going to lie, I, it got overshadowed a little bit by by Tormund eye-fucking the shit out of Brienne. <laughs> That that freaking I mean, whereas one my heart kind of you know expanded three sizes, the other one made my loins burn. So Ooh. there you go, little hot take. Hot. If this castle's a, a rock and don't come a knocking, listen, uh, Annie, mm-hmm. your girl Tonks. Yes. She got shanked in the neck. She's so totally like underestimated Ramsay. She thought Ramsay was like beyond. It was really she sad. thought he was a little lord. Yep, she thought she thought it was just, she thought he was run of the mill, and she thought she could play him just like she played Theon. She thought, and she did not see that coming. And you know, I just got to say that you know Hufflepuff Hufflepuffs are better than that. You know, so don't judge Hufflepuff <laughs> just on a couple things like that. You know, she, because she the Mister the Rock is a Hufflepuff. Okay, he's in the same house as Tongs. Your argument is invalid. Is she in Harvey Potter? Hey, and I just want to say He's something, old old and I don't know if Annie wrote this article or somebody, it was at Winner's, Winner is Coming, and I saw the article that somebody wrote for Winner is Coming about Tonks, well, I don't know why I call her Tonks, that's not her real name, but anyway, her and Ramsey were actually in a Netflix movie. I wrote that article. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. So, and then, so I watched the video of, I guess, you know, I guess of a snippet of this show, and they were together romantically, like, to see that <laughs> actor being, like, romantic and, like, in love with Tonks totally fucked me up. Like, I had to, <laughs> oh, I was like, oh. Have you listened to his iTunes, his stuff on iTunes? He's his, great. He's great. He, but you cannot get the Ramsey. You out cannot of get the it's it's good lyrics, good sub- music. But all I see is Ramsey singing a love song, and I can't Wait hear a minute, it out of my head. He sings too. He's, he's, a, he's amazing. amazing. Yeah, he has a great he's, voice. He's actually he was a musician before he was an actor. Yeah, um, yeah, y'all, yeah. Y'all have like, up my world right he has, now. He, his uh, his debut album's on iTunes, and yes, go look yeah. him up. It is fantastic. It, it's Irish music. It's really good. Yeah, it's very oh good. Gosh. You can't y'all, get Ramsey out of his out of your head. Y'all, y'all have just messed up my whole world right now. But anyway, <laughs> I just, I just when I saw that it was him and Tonks. I mean, to imagine that these two people played lovers in one show and then in another show he fucking kills her, you know, with with just just some vengeance behind it, and it was just amazing. I I just couldn't. I guess in my mind I could not. Um, separate the two, you know. I guess that that's why I call it a really talk, well done scene too, though. Yes, it was really, really well absolutely done. Absolutely well done scene. I mean, we all knew 
you know, in my mind, I had the the movie Ghost going on where where uh, Whoopi Goldberg Whoopi Goldberg says, "Girl, you is in trouble," and that's what I was like, "Oh Lord, girl, you is in trouble. You you need to stop. You just you." you overreach girlfriend but um it is what it is and she ended up dying but i mean at the same time you know we we didn't know later on rickon was going to end up dying i mean we figured that he would but uh it's almost kind of like good that it she died quickly because the others so anybody else that we saw him kill they suffered um horribly. and and osha was, didn't was... so i was grateful for that yeah. So we also had in this episode, uh, back at Castle Black, we had Brienne confronting Melisandre and Davos in the most ballsy way possible. Um, like, because we have Davos, first of all, he comes down and asks Melisandre, what's going on? So are you following Jon Snow now? And she's like, well, he's the Lord of Light champion. He is... And didn't she, for the first time, doesn't she say he's Azor Ahai? Uh, the prince that was promised. He, the prince she still has never said Azor Ahai, but she, that was the first time she ever used the phrase, the prince that was promised. Right, and so Davos questions her, and, they, and, and she starts to walk down, he follows her, and he's really starting to get into the conversation, and he starts to ask her what happened, and Brienne just walks up out of nowhere. I was there, I saw what happened, I killed him. <laughs> and it's like both of them just had this look on their face, like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, I I, I like that scene because, especially because, yeah, she's just you could tell she was kind of taunting them, like, "Come at me, like, try something," and then come at me, bro. Right, and then as the scene ends, they kind of pan back, and you notice that Brienne's got Oathkeeper in her hand, like she's yeah. ready to rumble, and. Neither, you know, Melisandre and Davos are thankfully not dumb enough to take the bait because obviously she would have just wrecked shop there. And, you know, I, I like that scene because it was definitely a nice callback to, especially to Renly back in season two. You know, that she's like, you know, I, I, we've met before when you were making fun of Renly and then, you know, you killed him with blood magic and all that stuff. And so I liked it. It was a great little, it was a short scene, but it was a great scene. Yeah, I just, again, like I said, I'm at season two. I just got to to the part where they meet in midfield, and um, actually Melisandre just had her shadow baby uh, before I got on the podcast, which was mentally disturbing. Yes. Especially since I know she's so horribly old. And uh, anyway, um, but Brienne's always good to go. That's what I love about her, man. She's always, like, ratcheted up, like, she... Especially with Tormund. I'm telling you, man, she's she's gonna unleash it on Tormund in season seven. She's she's finally gonna she's finally gonna let it go on Tormund. And then she's not gonna be a warrior anymore. And we're all gonna be sad. She's not gonna be a warrior maid. <laughs> I was gonna say she can still be a warrior if she No, she's no, she's gonna lose all that rage. It's gonna be all gone. She's all that frustration. Like, it's, I don't really wanna fight anymore. I gave I gave it to Tormund. I really don't care anymore. Oh gosh, yes. Her 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 power lies in her vagina. Okay, yeah, that's so not how that's going to work. Yeah, but exactly. anyway, I, uh, frankly, I think if she if if she did Tormund afterwards, she would come out and she'd kill a few people just to show them that she could just to, just to be like, you know what, I get it, and I'm going to cut your heads off. Yeah, she's going to be so much more brilliant. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. At, least, also at had... least he's coming out with a black eye, if not both eyes blackened after that <laughs> interaction. A I couple mean, teeth missing. Yes. And, he, and he'll be happy about it. Oh, yeah. He'd have the biggest fucking smile on his face. Oh, my God. And a huge, and a huge erection. Again, this is, this is what fan fiction is for. Okay. So. <laughs> hey, we also had Dion and Yara. Ten months. Let's, 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 yeah, it's going to be terrible. I'll send Listen, you some Annie. Also, <laughs> let's talk about. Let's talk about the Theon and Yara reunion, because this was also another brother-sister reunion. We had Theon and Yara, and at first it didn't go so well for, uh, See, for Theon. No, 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 no. I think it went perfectly well. I'm going to argue It did that. in the end, but at first no, it wasn't. No, I think it went perfectly well. He had uh, – he has to know his sister and the expectation – of what may happen with this confrontation. He was dreading it, but he went home anyway, and he had this confrontation, and he, you know, basically was like, you're right, I'm sorry, I did this, I did, I mean, he did everything that he needs to do to, to get, you know, his sister to, to not understand where he was coming from, but just to say, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done that, I know that you're upset with me. So to me, I feel like that, whole thing probably went better i mean to be honest i think he's just surprised that he didn't get gutted by his sister to be honest mm -hmm. so the fact that she was talking to him she was showing emotion in her face because i want to stand up for her because i mean i think a lot of people think that she's just you know this big no i love yara yeah yara I love her. yara is a hard ass and everything but i tell you she she loves her brother like like nothing else and uh and i felt like that whole interaction for the fact that he came out of it unscathed physically uh i think that he that whole thing happened the way it should have happened and i want to make a side note really quick annie you know how we talked about uh in the finale podcast about the theme music when when theon's looking up at the flag the Greyjoy flag yes. in the finale and it that da na 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 yes that and it, then it goes into the Mother of Dragons. Mm -hmm. That is actually the Greyjoy theme melded into the Mother of Dragons. I was watching, um, watching Theon being doused with salt water, turned into an Ironborn in season two. They play that very softly. That da na 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 na, and I was like, holy shit! Once again, Jawadi, or how you pronounce his last name? Sorry if I pronounced it wrong. D is silent. Is, the D is silent. <laughs> Jawadi. He is amazing. He's a god. And he like he brings it back. Because, you know, we don't get much Ironborn at all. And he just brings it in. And he, you know, he played it when Theon was getting baptized. And Theon didn't get dunked in the sea in season two. He got it poured on his head. Like, Euron got dunked. Theon got the got his water poured on his head. Yeah, but you know, Urien was also becoming king. Theon is becoming king. It's a different it's a different ceremony. That's true. But that theme music was played, and when Theon's looking up at the flag at the end of at the end of season six, that theme music plays, and then it's melded into the Mother of Dragons. I just wanted to make that side point. Corey Thone, I got this question for you: If you're Theon and your cock and balls are cut off, you're Theon, right? You don't have a dick and balls. Do you give the Iron Islands to your sister, or do you fight her for them? Um, Remember, you don't have a cock and balls. Are we sure? So are we Remember, sure? 
Wait a second. Wait a second. I just want to make sure. Okay. You're, you're, you, you, Corey Thon, don't have a cock ball. Okay. So <laughs> what we're saying is you're, Patriarchy you. Patriarchy hurts you're, men, too. I'm just telling you, Corey Thon. Yeah. You don't have any wedding tackle. Okay, great. So now that we have confirmed that, uh, so you're asking <laughs> yes, me, you're, you're asking me what I like as Theon, Corey Thone playing Theon, who is a character doesn't have a cock and balls. <laughs> yes, you yourself. No, me as Theon. You're not phrasing this correctly. No Franken beans. Okay, got it. All right. So I'm I'm full up Ken doll it right now. All right, and uh. No, I, I think that Theon makes the point. I mean, obviously his brain and everything is very fragile and blah, blah. But pre-reekness, preakness, horse race, ah. but pre-reekness, he was, he went on to say to uh, Tyrion and Danny as well, he was like, I was really super not great at doing things that required me to be in charge. And now, and now it's even worse because he has no confidence in himself. At least he made those mistakes confidently at Winterfell and everything. But um yeah, he he's he has no reason to want or think that he could do a good job as King of the Iron Islands, so I wasn't surprised by that. Okay. All right. Good point. Alright, so we also had in this episode Marjorie visits she's allowed to visit Loris in this in the cells and we kinda had a little inkling of an idea that she was working the High Sparrow, right, Annie? Like she says, she quotes scripture at him. Yeah, she 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 proves that she's a much savvier player than anyone has expected. Because okay, basically she's been sitting in this dungeon being frippin' tortured for what a season and for all, for almost a full season now because she got dragged away about halfway mm-hmm. through season five, you know, and. Cersei basically was losing her mind from this torture within, like, two episodes, right? And we see Loras, and he's clearly being massive. He's he's clearly, like, he's done. Like, all he wants to do is, like, die. And that's really all he wants in life at this point is just to make it end. She, on the other hand, has held on to her wits completely. She is quietly absorbing everything that they say to her. And at the exact opportune moment, she spits it back. And she spits it back at just the right time to convince the High Sparrow that she is on his side. She is a right. master game player. You know, Oleana, we see Oleana grieving at the very end of the season. But I have to say, Olena, um, sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, we see Olena grieving at the end of the season. You know, that woman did a damn fine job raising Marjorie. She really did. She should She should be proud of herself. You know, Marjorie was one of the best... You know, the only thing that Marjorie didn't understand was that Cersei really would burn it all down. She thought that the right. game was played with words, you know, and that's that that's the, that was her only mistake. Otherwise, but, you know, and because she thought the game was played with words, she took all the words that were being said to her and she absorbed them and she used them. And she basically planted the seeds that once, you know, Laura said to her, I, I want to die, you know, just let him win. You know, suddenly she'd already planted the seeds to go there. She just had to get that little push and that little idea really, like, cemented in there that if she let the High Sparrow think that he had won, that she would get out, that she would basically have taken power from Cersei completely, and that she would actually be in a position to quietly pull the strings from behind, as she'd always been taught, was her place as a woman. 
Yeah, and see, I I would say going on going beyond this episode down a few episodes next, I would say Elena's biggest mistake was not forcing the Tyrell army to just march up the steps and take her granddaughter with her. But they whatever. didn't have the balls and the high sparrow knew it. And that is Mace, what that is Mace did not have the balls. Mace whatever. was a foppish oaf and I love that guy. I fucking love Mace Tyrell. Um, he was, if, I'm, but, if I remember the YouTube video I watched correctly, he was one of the few people to actually beat uh, Robert's army at some point at some battle in some place. I can't he remember. Didn't, yes. He didn't do anything. He would. He just he, brought an army bigger than Robert's. So he won. Uh, Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, no, no, that was me being... See, you guys think I don't know anything about the world of ice Ashmark. and fire. Oh, Corey Smith with the knowledge bomb. Anyways, yeah, go ahead. I I, I was just – that was – the High Sparrow never – I think that he knew that those soldiers weren't going to march up the steps. He knew that that Jamie Lannister wasn't going to stab him in the sept, even though he had – first off, he had all the the little uh, children in the corn around him. But also, (laughs) I I don't think that he knew that. I think he's he's not going to do that. And I think that he also knew that Cersei wouldn't blow up all those people to kill him and do all this stuff. And he was wrong about that. And that's, that's where everybody was wrong. Then Marjorie yeah. and everybody just was like, Oh, Cersei, there's a limit to her. Nope. <laughs> and <laughs> nope. that was, that was everybody's mistake. Um, but yeah, so. Okay. Let's get to the big, mo- let's get to the big moment in book of a stranger. And it's where, um, we have Danny. First of all, we have, uh, Dario Nohaini and Sir Sir Jor the Explorer sneaking their way into Vesothrak, and they talk about mounting the dragon, blah, blah, blah. They get in, and we have uh, Jorah with the uh, pocket sand move. Boom! And it misses... It misses... And it misses the Dothraki, but thankfully Dario's there with his handy-dandy dagger. And he stabs him, and he covers up the dagger poke with a handy-dandy rock smash to the head. And then um, they free Danny and her new Khaleesi friend. And Danny decides to plot to free all the Dothraki by making herself queen of the Dothraki by burning the calls, right? Yeah. So, Corey Smith, Corey Smith, walk me through how you felt this scene went down. Okay, so, you know, we... We were kind of questioning before the whole. We kind of before the season started, we kind of had an idea where this was going with with Danny. She was going to get some sort of Dothraki backing, and we didn't know how it was going to happen. We we, we kind of thought Drogon was going to swoop in and save. We knew that there was a burning building in Vos Dothrak. We assumed it was going to be Drogon that did it, potentially rescuing uh, Danny from something, but. Uh, in the end, it turned out Danny just straight up lit everybody's asses on fire, and I, I was kind of mixed on it because it was kind of a retread of, you know, every other time she's lit somebody on fire. Um, but also, up until about thirty seconds before she did it, people there kind of treated her with respect, and so I, I was kind of mixed up until they said they're all going to rape her. But she seemed to have already made the decision before that. So, uh, I mean, I was kind of mixed on it. Obviously, it played really well. You know, it was pretty dramatic. And she walks out butt-ass naked again. 
Um, and, like uh, the Terminator. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Right, which I thought she had said she wasn't going to do anymore, but neither here nor there. Um, and it was actually uh, Amelia Clark, too. It wasn't a body right, double. Right, exactly. So, um, I mean, I like the scene overall, but I, I did kind of question it a bit because she was, it did seem to me she was a bit ruthless and just murdering everybody when they really hadn't done anything wrong to her okay. to that two, point. Two, Two things. Um, uh-oh, a uh-oh. a point they they wanted that to, to feel like it was ruthless, like that she was being ruthless, that she was being over the top. There was a level where Danny is supposed to be, you know, I think it was uh, Jack Bender who actually compared her to uh, Adolf Hitler, that he actually thought oh, of her a little shit. bit. No, it wasn't him. It was whoever directed. Wait, he directed. He directed episode six. He directed episode six. So, yes, it was Jack Bender that that scene when she's on the back of the dragon, he had actually he was thinking fascist and he was thinking that she was over the top and that 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 her arc is basically that she needs Tyrion to temper her and temper that instinct towards fascism that runs in the Targaryen family. So there's that. I could that. see that. I could see that. Was so that, that. the secret Targaryen? With the K. With the K. But, you know, the other thing, though, is that that's the point of those earlier scenes where the Dothraki are making fun of her, where the Dothraki women are basically like, look, you're tr- you, you get two choices here. You get to live out your life here trapped, and you get a modicum of respect, or you get raped and killed. Like, that's your only choices in life, because that's the way life is here, because that's the way they treat us. You know, I made a joke earlier about patriarchy hurts men, too, but, you know, it is very much supposed to be that the Dothraki are this terrible patriarchy oppressing these women and oppressing these people, and she basically has the idea to free them, not just because they're treating her badly, but because of her little the the, the younger the younger uh, the younger Khaleesi girl who's like, yeah, he raped me, he beat me because I had a baby of the wrong gender, you know. He broke my ribs. He broke my ribs because my baby was a girl, you know. And I, I'm glad he's dead. This is the best life I could imagine is being uh, is basically being uh, a woman trapped here, living out my life completely, you know, devoid of ever having another man because at least no one will ever hurt me again. You know, people forget this. People forget this because of how badass uh, Khal Drago was. But do you know, season one when they took over that that the landmen when they went over there and he got that cut on his chest, he they fucking were raping every woman in that village and cutting the heads off every man, yeah, every man the, and boy. Yeah, the the idea is the the idea is that she has this idea not just for her, but also for these women and for every woman who has been treated terribly by these calls. This is kind of this is a moment of patriarchy burn it down. I don't mind I don't mind the fact that she went instant brutal. I don't mind the fact that she had to go uh from from 0 to 10. And, and no time flat. And, uh, I don't mind that she burned them all to death. I, well, I'm glad that she did it. One more thought, because I, I had this while we were talking about Cersei burning them all down. Danny is the only other person who is as ruthless as Cersei and willing to burn them all down. Yeah, she Annie will just not took hesitate. the words out of my mouth because I was about to nice. say the exact same thing. I was just like, only the only person who can rival Cer- Cersei right now would be Danny. Nice. And, uh, and by the way, Lena Heady, is it Heady or Hetty? Hetty. I thought it was Hetty. Headley. Heady. Heady. I thought, whatever. She's, she said in, a, in an interview today that uh, she hopes for a, a quick confrontation with uh, Danny and her army. Although, 
she doesn't have the forces to deal with Danny and her army. Uh, so I don't think that's going to happen very quickly in season seven. Anyway, um, oh, but so I that... I have a I have a thought, and okay. we won't we think... won't talk about it now. But I have okay. a, a thought of who Cersei may align herself with. Okay. Well, she doesn't have many many people to align with. It might be Euron, but it it it, it won't be quick. Um, let's get on to to episode five so we can cut this podcast and call it good. Uh, episode five is the one that broke everybody's heart. It's the one that left me inconsolable for like 10 or 15 minutes afterwards. As a grown man, I got made fun of for this, but I cried my eyes out. I don't care what everybody says. I did, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to have a group hug afterwards if everybody needs one. Anyway, the door, um, it started off with Sansa meeting Littlefinger in Molestown, and he, he's like, hey, listen, I'm sorry. That I, I'm sorry that I sold you to Ramsey. And she's like, she's like, whatever. He raped me. Do you want to see the scars? Say what he did to me. And she made Littlefinger her bitch, right? Yeah. I, I, Basically. I, I love that scene. I mean, I know a lot of people told me afterwards that they almost turned the episode off during that scene because it was just so painful to see her recounting the things that Ramsey had done to her without actually saying, um, but that to me, that was why the scene worked so well because it was powerful, right? It, you could see the rage in Sansa that was giving her the strength to basically cut Littlefinger to pieces verbally. And so I, I love that scene, um, you know, because you really felt the pain that Sansa had gone through, you know, for everything she had gone through up until that point. And if Sansa's wedding night made right. people quit watching Game of Thrones. This episode gave her her power back because right. she owned it. She took it back. Right. She owned it. Yeah. So I, I love that scene. I mean, you know, Littlefinger's teleporting machine aside. <laughs> I, I love that scene. I thought it was, I thought it was really, really well done. So we had that and we had Brienne like standing behind her. With, with her hand on Oathkeeper, like, the lady asked you a question. That was pretty cool. Um, we also had uh, Sansa lying to Jon Snow uh, in Castle Black, not telling him about the, the Vale army and the possibilities with that, and um, talking about uh, Brendan Tully's uh, possibility of bringing the, the River Run army, which was, was, I don't know if you'd call it a MacGuffin or a Red Herring, but that ended up being a big flop and never never panning out for either. And we kind of knew that was going to happen anyway, right? We didn't think Tully was going to die in the battle, but whatever. Um, but uh, in Bravos, Isis, Arya's training with the Waif, right? That's and it's like Mortal Kombat. I swear. I absolutely – I mean – don't get me wrong. The the waif, she she was. I feel like she was training her really really well. It was it was totally MMA fighting style, kind of like, hey, we're in this ring and we're you know basically you know whoever goes down and I mean like down hard uh, wins. And and it was a it was really amazing because I mean what we see uh, out of Arya later on in the season. Um, especially in the season finale, I mean, she wouldn't have been able to do that stuff if she wouldn't have gotten that waif training. I mean, I still don't like the waif. I think she's still a fucking bitch. 
Um, but <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, at, at the same time, you know, she, um, you know, really did help her in her development. Now, was something that we didn't realize. Well, I mean, I think we talked about it in the pad on the podcast for that episode. The door was that she had mentioned someone. Uh, Walter Frey's name was mentioned while they're yes, having this was. fight, and mm-hmm. like she like perks up kind of uh, the the waif does and everything, and then we see, you know, Arya at, at the end of the the season go to uh to where the phrase are so i felt like that was a kind of a reach back to back there i wish we would have found out that's a that's actually a moment that i would have wished we would have find out we would have found out more about why the waif looks so interested in the phrase i was hinting at the fact that maybe the waif was a fray and maybe her story in season five was that she was it was partly true and that she was a fray but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we'll, I guess we'll that, never find out. Well, I mean, I don't know. Well, maybe we won't. But um, that—that's one thing that I wish we would have found out. Why would she seems so interested when the phrase were mentioned um, in that conversation? But uh, but that didn't happen. But I really feel like you know the the waif you know for all of her things that she did, and of course it, we're rooting for Arya. She she really gave that girl some great training. She was amazing. Corey Phone, does Mortal Kombat training uh, uh, protect you from gut stabbings and shit water? I mean, we all know from Mortal Kombat you don't die until you get your spine ripped out of your ass. So, I mean, she's she's totally fine. Listen, this is what I was afraid of. We are we are way too deep into this podcast for me to start bitching about the storyline with the wave. So I'm just going to shut up and say the whole thing up until this season was actually pretty cool. I was very curious as where they were going to take it. Then they figured out, uh, this is going nowhere, so let's just wrap, wrap it up, wrap it up. Stab, stab, stab. Ah, bye! <laughs> like, just awful. Um, I almost really, feel really like... So. I, I feel like that, you know, uh, that that became, like, the new Dorn. You know, like, really. You know, like, that... that Bravos whole... almost became... The, but almost. with the exception... With the exception of the actors... With the with the with well, the murmurs, it's like I that, was saying the wafening actually really helped. Arya. The, wafening. <laughs> like the the training that Arya got over there is going to remain important throughout the show, as opposed to Dorn, where nothing ever happens over there that's important ever. And it's been a wafening. It's been, yeah, it's been the opposite okay. of a wafening. It's been a a. Mm, uh, uh, a, not a, a, a bomb abortion, <laughs> but there's. <laughs> oh my god! That's the worst dad joke I have ever I'm, I'm heard. Done, I'm done with you. I am done with you, Corey Zone. I'm bad. Done, I am done with Dorn. Bad Corey Zone. <laughs> Listen, hey, uh, Annie, I want to ask you about Euron because he got he got crowned the king, right? Oh, In this yeah, episode, yeah, that did happen. So is 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 Euron Donald Trump? Um, <laughs> you 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 seem to be the politico of our podcast. <laughs> it's just because I live in DC. Um, yeah, there were a lot of people who compared Urian to Trump. Um, there's been a lot of that. Basic Urian, you're, the actual the actual actor himself. Um, uh, I did, made the comparisons as well. Um, yeah. so, you know, and I mean, 
the thing about Game of Thrones is it's a political parable. You know, the whole point of it is that it's about, you know, politicians fiddling over things that aren't important while the climate is killing us. You know, I mean, that's basically the entire like meta point of the story. It's a, and it's basically what's happening in the real world that way. Um, and it's I mean, playing it's on our we, fears. It's of- not that we, we shouldn't trust people from Greenland. This is actually in Canadians. <laughs> that's what I thought it was, was that Canadians, and northern you can trust Canadians. They're yeah. very, ca- Canadians are very nice. You okay. know, it's, it's basically they're, playing they're on our polite. it's pu- it's playing on our fear of climate change, and it's a and it's a parable of what's happening in the world today. And that's just it, so. Therefore, like every little bit, like you know, back in 2012 when season two was on, people made jokes about um, Rob Stark and Obama. It's just that's the way it works. Um, so yeah, people made jokes about urine just the way, just the way people are going to be making jokes about, you know, uh, Danny is coming to Westeros, Khaleesi is coming to Westeros when Hillary, you know, when we get to September, October, and we get much closer to the actual election. So yeah, um, honestly, though, the only part of the door, the only part of the door that matters is hotter. I wonder, I wonder if, um, I wonder if, uh, Danny can read her emails though, better than... Oh. I'm there's, kidding. There's, I'm kidding. God damn it. I don't want to talk about that. It was a joke. Anyway, um Yeah, can we talk about the real Let's talk about let's talk about the real don't have electricity. <laughs> they gonna build the biggest though. navy. And you know what? Dorn's gonna pay for it. And it's gonna be huge. It's gonna be huge. <laughs> and we're gonna make it in China. Okay. China. But I would, All right. I, would, I would really, really like to move on to Hodor. Let's let's talk about let's talk about it. Let's we have to. Now. Well we and have Bran. to talk about the white what the white. We gotta work walkers, yeah. Let's, yeah. Listen, oh. let's talk about how the white walkers were created. <laughs> what the hell? We're gonna we're gonna real quick, we we did have a new pr- red priestess, Kinvara. She did scare the shit Bob, out of Tyrion. Nobody she did scare the shit out of Tyrion. She did scare the shit out of Varys. She talked about his his uh his Franken beans being roasted over the fire. And so You're talking whatever. about dicks a lot. She, man. <laughs> I can't help it, man. It's Game of Thrones. Anyway, um and that was it. That's the only time she was ever seen. She never got she was never brought back into season six. Blah, that's the end. Anyway, um let's talk about how White Walkers were created. And they were created with a shard of obsidian dragon glass shoved into the chest of I'm assuming a night's watchman a human uh, into his chest and we saw his eyes turn blue and that was the first uh, that was the night king the first uh, white walker raising hand um, uh, how was their dragon glass when there weren't dragons back then dragons didn't uh, come over from Valeria until um, at least two centuries no, but it was clearly obsidian so that's I, what they call dragon glass I, I, I am not I am not arguing I, with this I'm simply pointing it out that this is I know okay but uh-huh. but the, I mean like there's I there in the books aren't there like ice dragons and shit no I I think that they they made their point especially because uh Stannis talked about it in season five that on Dragonstone they had a lot of uh, obsidian. So I think that it's something that naturally occurred in certain spots. Ah, uh, okay. So I don't know. Well, the children of the forest definitely had obsidian. Right. So anyway, uh, we saw how the White Walkers were created, which was a huge moment for book readers because we had always wondered where they came from and why they why they were doing what they did. And we still don't know why they awoke out of their thousand-year sleep. Uh, old Nan tells the stories that they woke up from their thousand-year sleep, 
and they they came through the long night and they attacked towns and cities and villages on their backs of their dead horses and their spiders. And um, so we don't know why they woke up, but we do know they're awake and they're pissed off at the three-eyed raven and they're pissed off at the children of the forest, um, presumably because they were made with dragon glass, I guess. I don't know. And we saw that um, Bran was given un, unfettered access to the Weirwood net, right? And um, instead, of, instead of doing what all, all teenagers do on the internet, masturbating, he decided, he decided to go visit uh, thewalkingdead.com. Well, I mean, he is paralyzed, so... He's paralyzed. <laughs> that's, that's so wrong of you. And while, while on thewalkingdead.com, he, he picked up a virus, right? And he, he saw the Night King. Night King marked him. And so instead of using McAfee, he brought it back home, and he didn't run, he didn't run a virus scan. And the Night King was able to come into the, to the cave and wreck all the dicks. So, um, Corey Smith, how did you feel about uh, how this all went down? You know, from a from a book reader's perspective, you know, in the span of a couple minutes, we just had so much information kind of thrown at us and overload. Yeah, and it, I felt like Odor myself. Yeah, and you know, it was you know, I write the Valar Morghulis for for WinterIsComing.net, and I on that thing I had said that I was pretty sure the Night King would bust into the cave somehow and kill the Three-Eyed Raven at some point in the season. And it turned out to be true, but we no one really kind of saw that Bran got marked by the White Walkers coming. But we knew something was going to happen. We knew that, yeah, the cave kept out the Whites at the end of Season 4, but we all kind of assumed that a White Walker would be a different story. And it kind of came true. And so... You know, to see the creation of the White Walkers, and then the next thing you know, they're all attacking the cave, and they take out the Three-Eyed Raven, and Summer, and all the children of the forest. Um, you know, yeah, it was, it was a lot of information overload in the span of, you know, four or five minutes of screen time. So, and that's not... So, in that, in that amount of time, we lost, we lost all the children of the forest, we, we lost Three-Eyed Raven, we lost Summer. Right. And and in the and we had we had Mira become only the third person on Game of Thrones to kill a White Walker, right? right which was a big and point, a big thing to do. And then yeah. we had, and then we had our dear sweet gentle giant Hodor hold the door, and we found out that Bran connecting back to the first Tower of Joy scene affect something in the past. He warred Willis in the past, and connect back to Hodor in the in the future. In the present, God damn, my mind is already blown. So, uh, having Jack Bender do this episode from Lost really just fucked everybody's timeline up, and he just threw all this time-sensitive material from Lost in, and it just really just blew everybody's mind. And it, I can't even explain it myself, and I was a huge fan of Lost. But really, what happened is, Willis what, saw Bran in the past, right? He saw him because he looked at him, and and Bran warged Willis, and Willis saw his death. Correct. 
Correct. Kinda. Willis. Willis basic basically Bran was warged into Hodor in the present, and basically an echo boom passed back and it connected with Willis in the past, and so both. Hodor in his future and Willis in the past were connected mentally through Bran, and Willis basically lived through his own death. So they 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 were like online gaming with each other, basically. So like, <laughs> this is really easy if you watch Doctor Who. You know, you guys. I'm just saying, like, once you watch Doctor Who, all of this makes perfect sense. The hardest it's, of it's passes. The hard, 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 hard pass. I'm with Annie. The timey wimey thing. I, I once you once you understand that from Doctor Who, you, you totally get this. Yeah. Okay. So then, so then, Willis's little brain could not handle what was going on. He saw his death. He freaked out. Had an aneurysm. Starts screaming. Hold the door because Mira says, "Hold the door. Hold the door. Hold the door." And that's all he starts repeating is, hold the door, hold the door, hold the door. And it just goes, hold the door, over and over and over and over and over until it's nothing but Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. And it was so goddamn sad and tragic that I was sobbing. I was sobbing, people. And, and, the, and the episode was over. I was already sobbing when Summer died. Because not only did Summer die tragically and stupidly, Summer didn't have to, like, sacrifice his body to the to the whites. He could have ran with Mira. He would have been he would have been much more useful to Mira and Bran in the woods than he was trying to stop the whites. I mean Leaf Leaf killed more whites with that little uh children of the forest bomb she made. Magical grenade. Magical grenade than Summer did sacrificing himself. But they had to like give us that, that sad puppy wine as he died, that hurt my heart. That killed me inside. And I'm an animal lover. And so, like, Summer died, and I was, like, tearing up. And then Hodor's, like, holding the door, and then Willis is go- freaking out on the ground. And it's it goes back to, like, mentally disabled children, like, crying. And, like, it just fucking killed me inside. And, like, Hodor being one of my favorite characters, both in the books and on the show... Just because he's the gentle giant, and he's like, you know, he's been a long-time character, and man, it was just tough. So, Isis, how did you feel seeing Hodor pass away? You know... We we actually didn't see it happen, but we know that it happened. Yeah, uh, you know, this is one of those moments where you kind of go and say, okay, here goes a character who we love, that we haven't seen a whole lot of uh, in the last couple of seasons. I mean, he's been out there basically dragging... (laughs) dragging this kid around and stuff like that. So we haven't seen a whole lot of him. Uh, but yeah, you know, all kinds of stuff in this fucking tree and shit uh, with these elves uh, or children of the corn, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, but you know, he never complained. He never, you know, was upset about anything. I mean, he was just, he was there for this, for this kid and for his purpose. And uh, he was absolutely gentle. And so when you see him, freaking die you just kind of go and say damn you know is is no one freaking protected on this damn show and the answer is no absolutely nobody no one is safe no one is safe everybody you know all, all the if you like them they will probably die and uh and it would probably be some horrible death now i feel like that his death at least had purpose so i wasn't terribly upset you know about it but 
yeah, it it hits you right there in in the heart because you know this guy's been dragging this fucking kid around for the past what five six seasons and stuff like that, and and his life was to save. I mean, he died saving this kid, so that was his his whole life, and the the fact that he was able to see his death happen to him when he was young and fucked him up mentally. Um, you know, I really feel like that it just, you know, tells a lot about a person because he could have just given up and said, fuck it, if I'm going to die like that, that's a horrible death. I'll just kill you know myself. What really hits home? You know what really, really hits home is that David Benioff and Dan Weiss, as showrunners, have said that this is one of the huge twists that George R. R. Martin told them when they first took over the series that he was going to reveal in the books. And uh, watching the series over, season one... Bran wants him to take him down to the crypts because Bran starts dreaming about his dad. So Bran wants Hodor to take him down into the crypts of Winterfell, and Hodor refuses. And now it makes so much fucking sense. Hodor doesn't want to go down to the crypts because it reminds him of the living in the cave below the tree. That happens like, multiple times, multiple times yeah. throughout the show, and I think that – the one thing that you have to, to point out when you talk about Hodor and his death is that he was 100% holding the door on his own accord, listening to himself, Willis, tell him to hold the door. There was no warging or whatever into Hodor. That was all him. The, uh-huh. the, uh, the reason that he became Hodor is because Bran in the past uh, could hear Mira because he was trying to – escape from, or, or break out of his, you know, comatose state. Yeah. So he was hearing Mira talk and uh, Willis then heard and saw Bran. And then Bran is the one who then his eyes went wide. He warged into Willis and connected Willis to Hodor either whether he meant to or not. That's what happened. And uh, good point. Yeah, that's what happened. And that's why Bran looks so terrified because he, he finally figured out he's the reason that Hodor is Hodor. He's what happened. And Hodor's entire life was spent having seen Bran, having seen and felt his, his death. He felt it physically. That's why he was freaking out as well with his arms and stuff. He was feeling it physically, and it caused this massive brain hemorrhage thing. And there at the end, that was Hodor holding it as Willis, not as Hodor, if that makes sense. And that's God that's damn. what makes his character so tragic is his entire life from when he was how ten or ten or eleven years old was set up completely to do that one thing and to get brand to that one spot. Just like yeah. with Jojen, just like with Summer and everybody else, that it was all it, it's it's either it's personally I think it's more of like a Doctor Manhattan thing where everything that's happened has happened already and it's going to keep happening. There's, you can go back in time and watch nice. it, but it's it's just going to keep happening over and over again. Um, I think that's kind of where they're at, and once Brand figures that out, I think he'll be able to use his powers. There's a nice it. pop culture reference for you. Nice one. Um, okay. I was also going to say, Razor, when you're watching back, notice that Hodor, every time that Brand works, every time Brand works, uh, Hodor rocks back and forth in a panic. He does. Uh-huh. He really does. He hates it. Yeah, and um, it's because and it's because it's triggering him. It's triggered. <laughs> it does. <laughs> hey, stop, don't. Corey Smith, what did you have to say about this? All right, so, uh, you know, I've slowly converted all my 
friends and family to the show over the years, and uh, a lot of us were together uh, over July 4th, and we're barbecuing outside and going in and out, in and out, every single time someone asked to hold the door. Oh, God. When someone's coming in with the food, someone's coming in with whatever, someone says, hey, hold the door real quick. I swear my whole backyard, everybody just erupts. Hold the door! Hold the door! You got <laughs> probably 10 or 15 people at a time all screaming out, hold the door. Hold I, I hear it all the time uh, when I'm out and about. Yeah. When I'm out and about, like, at the store, yeah. you hear people say it all the time. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, hold the door. And people start laughing. I'm like, oh, goddamn, stop. Yeah. Like, people on people on the internet are so fucking quit, like, quick. Like, um, episode 9, Battle of the Bastards. The next day... On eBay, there was a toilet paper holder that said, with Torment's face, that said, happy shitting. Like, the people are so <laughs> fucking, people don't wait. It's, don't that's, how, that's how popular it is. Anyway, listen, we're at episode, we're at the end of episode five, and we're going to call it good. It's a two-hour podcast. I hope that people stay to listen to the end, and we are going to continue next week with episode six, episode ten. It will probably be another two-hour podcast. Ugh. So... <laughs> so bring your alcohol. Who is he home? It's the bring only way to go. It's the only yes. way to go. And bring a comfortable chair. So for all my panel, for Annie, for Corey Thone, first of his name, for Corey Smith, second of his name, for Isis, for myself, Razor. Uh, thanks for listening to us, and we will see you next week. Volar Mogulis. <laughs>